Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 417. Terry Miller, the disc golf guy, alongside Johnny V. Izzy. That's what I've been doing, Terry. You've been busy? I've, I have been busy. Other, well, than, other than the Des Moines challenge this weekend mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i also this weekend started on a little bit of remodeling of our studio space i've got big plans here terry big. we're I'm going not, big time here, i'm folks. not telling you all of them i'm gonna i'm gonna surprise you week after week as okay. you show up but we do nope. have and I, by episode 700 we might have a complete studio. <laughs> uh, i wouldn't count on that it's never complete terry perfection is never done you can never yes. get there that's what we're striving, you keep striving for. for no our our wall of minis is back up our studio audience they're yep. five dollar supporters it's Hi guys and yeah hey everybody and you saw and that businesses and corporations and facelift no. anybody that wants to support us at five dollars a level at patreon.com slash smashbox tv hello over there um yeah, so that's I put that up. I got all this vinyl tile up. Some starting with a little bit of sound. Uh, oh my god! You know, uh, almost like a real podcast. Almost like a real almost. studio. Not quite. We're not. We're not that good. All right. Well, tonight what we're uh, going to be getting into, of course, there's a few things going on in disc golf, and we're what? not. We're believe it or not, we're not always just here for the drama. Uh, but we do have to touch on a few of the hot topics. Of course, we're going to get to those uh, in just a little bit, and also. Um, you know, something that's really exciting is there, besides what was happening in Des Moines, there was another big event going on this weekend. And unfortunately, it kind of fell under the radar simply because we have a an elite series event. And since I couldn't travel to Croatia and be part of it, we're going to bring in Mark Oxner. Oxer. <laughs> Mark Oxer. You hey, guys. Keep wanting to throw I an N in to there. Give you an N. Hey, Mark, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How, how many? Okay. Well, let's start here. This is the second time you've been here. We had you a few months ago when we were talking uh, with Uplay and and uh, Zoe yeah. and, and a whole collection of us. Give everyone a, a in another introduction, though. This is this is all you right now tonight. <laughs> so give everyone a quick introduction to yourself. Uh, yeah, I started playing disc golf in 2018 in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I had a knee injury that uh, stopped me from doing other sports, and so I picked up disc golf and. The rest, they say, is history, I guess, right? <laughs> I, I would say so, but go ahead. Yep. 
Yeah, no, I was just going to say, uh, since then I've had the opportunity to, uh, to be a TD. Um, uh, I've obviously been playing the sport myself, uh, helped with some course builds with some people through, uh, various different organizations across Canada. And then as mentioned in the last time I was on the show, working together with, uh, Dustin Zoe on, on Uplay. And then, uh, most recently just got back from, uh, disc golf worlds, uh, which was a team event in Varsdan, Croatia, which is a location I know you're familiar with. <laughs> uh, I, from what I remember, it is an amazing place. Uh, I was there for the Drava Forester a few years ago, which is their uh, more social activity. Uh, they have a couple different ev- events. I believe the Spring Forester has now been uh, you know, looked at in terms of a major tour stop and a visit for them uh, in Europe. But then the Drava Forester in the fall is a little more laid back, um, not not as quite focused on the competition, <laughs> although it's a tough course and good players. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's there's a lot of social components to it that's worthy of making a video about. So you were there for... Well, there, there is a YouTube video of you. I, I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We, 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 we've got enough drama tonight, all right? Uh, <laughs> uh, you were there for what we would refer to as the WIF Diff or uh, the World Flying Disc Federation 2022 World Team Disc Golf Championships. So, yeah, that's which right. is a mouthful, but start there. <laughs> what exactly does that mean? What does that entail? What, what disc golf team event? What are we talking about here? Yeah, so for those who aren't familiar, um, WIFDIF is sort of the governing organization for for flying all flying disc sports. Uh, they work with the IOC. Uh, and and obviously they work with the PDGA as well, and so they were trying to really do their best to to host uh, events. This is the fourth time this event has happened, uh, the world's uh, in a team format, and yeah, as you said, it's it's a little bit different uh, playing that team format. Most people, when they think of disc golf, they think of a, a solo uh, sort of sport, um, and this is played by your country, as you can see by the hockey jersey that I've got on <laughs> nice. and the hat. Very appropriate. Uh, yep. These were our, uh, some of our team gear. Uh, I managed to keep these pieces. Uh, I did trade other pieces as well that we had, but these are some of the pieces that I did keep. Um, but yeah, so it's a team event played by, you're representing your nation. Uh, there was 25 teams that participated. Uh, one team, uh, Norway, unfortunately, had to drop out uh, just before the event started. But there's 25 teams that were playing. Uh, there's six players uh, that are playing each match. Uh, it's match play, uh, disc golf that we were playing. Uh, and so there's six players playing each match. Uh, you're allowed to have 12 players on your team. Uh, and then you can sort of organize those 12 players as you see fit based on the parameters that uh, WIFDIF had set out for the game. So we had uh, MPO players, MP40 players, and FPO players on your team so and then you were uh, matched up in either singles play or doubles play and all the doubles play was alternate shot doubles play uh yeah <clears throat> and you had to set uh you had to pick the who was teeing off uh, each hole prior to the round or the match starting uh so that was interesting a little bit of strategy that was played into that and how you wanted to either because uh, sometimes you had two MPO players, sometimes you had MPO and FPO players, um, MPO and MP40 players. And so you're trying to see how like how it best suits your team versus maybe matching up against the other team. And uh, 
Uh, there's little nuances of strategy that were involved with that. So at each tee box for each hole, there was six players. And then the singles players would always throw first. And then based on the alt shot for the doubles, uh, the two doubles throwers would play and then move forward throughout the hole. And so real quick, though, you said uh, six six matches were going on at any given time, but you had a total of 12 players that could be there. So meaning some players could have only played in the singles, but not necessarily doubles and, and vice versa, depending on the size of your team. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, Correct. so we had like yeah, Canada had eleven players on our team, and we all we moved our players in and out of the roster as we saw best fit, because uh, you had to rank your players. So if say for uh, an event you'd have your six players, you'd have to have MPO one, MPO two, MPO three, uh, MP forty, FPO one, FPO two. So that would be your six players required for that match, and then. The way it would be is if you it all based on ranking order. So if you have somebody who's a thousand fourteen rated, which I think was uh, Casey Hannemeyer's, what his August rating was, uh, I think his July rating was a little bit lower. But just as an example, Casey would then be our MPO one player, and then somebody who had like a thousand and two rating would be the MPO two, and it would go based on that rating points. So you could adjust if somebody would sit in the MPO one or MPO two or MP three spot just based on maybe you pull Casey out and then the next person would move up and then be the MPO one for the next match that you would okay. play. Okay. So you could do a little bit of jostling around with your roster. If you had the players to do so, there were some countries that only brought six players and they had to play every single match. Sure. Uh, and that was going to be my next question is uh, six to 12. What, what, what do you feel like out of the 25 teams? What, what would you say was overall the average? Did, did most of them show up with 11 or 12? Um, I would say the average is probably somewhere in the middle, like maybe like eight, nine, okay, some ten, somewhere in there. Um, was probably the average. Uh, and yeah. I'll, I'll selfishly say that we saw a few posts, at least within the United States, uh, knowing uh, Kevin was going, knowing Billy, uh, Billy Lund was going. We saw that a few people were going, and then it seemed like there was even a switch up as to. Um, there was even a little bit of a switch up as to uh, a team captain and people, you know, basically being able to attend or not. Um, do, yeah. How how do you feel like that went in terms of just the sheer organization? Because you're, it's one thing to get one person somewhere; it's another thing to make sure <laughs> like six to twelve show up in the right place. Yeah, uh, I mean, especially with the way international travel is going right now. Exactly. Um, yes. Like, so um, I've got a bit of a different experience. I'm actually it's four o'clock in the morning where I am right now. Uh, okay. I've actually Thank moved you. from I've moved from Canada to the Netherlands. So my it's where my wife is from. So we're living there now. Okay. Um, okay. But, well, thank you for the short notice. You, you sent me a message <laughs> earlier today. Said we should talk about this sometime. And then, like three hours later, I was like, "Yeah, how about tonight?" So here we are. So, thank you so much for doing that. Um, yeah, no problems. But yeah, just as so, an example, there was a lot of people going through uh, Amsterdam, through Paris, um, and just m- luggage issues like these jerseys. Uh, we were not even sure if the jerseys were going to show up because they were in somebody's checked luggage and the <laughs> luggage didn't show up for a couple of days. Uh-huh. The flags the flags for the opening ceremony didn't show up because they were uh-huh. uh, in checked baggage. Um, like no fault of anybody's uh, that those things happen. It was just it's a, f- a reality of the situation that we're facing with the travel. So yeah, uh, fortunately, it seemed like all the players uh, made it for the teams, uh, at least as far as I'm aware of. 
Uh, the okay. teams that the players wanted to send seemed to make it there. Yeah, I know Kevin Gleason from from the U.S. I was following, I, I was tracking his luggage maybe as well as he was because every other day he's like, <laughs> no, luggage isn't here, luggage isn't here. And then I think on the final day it's the luggage arrived, which is better late than never. But, um, you know, like you said, that's all part of international travel right now and yeah. and poses its own problem. So, so everyone's aware of the format. You're getting all these people here. Talk to us just a little bit about the the camaraderie and and the representation for a country and like what it uh, that had to be unique within disc golf, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I've had the opportunity to be part of provincial organizations and even uh, here in the Netherlands, be part of a, a club. And there's something special to be able to play for, like like your province or your club or whatever but then to be able to put on put on your national team colors and be able to play is uh is something really special um i mean i wasn't playing i was a support staff team coach uh with the, with the team was we have some pretty good players in canada so i was a support staff member but even still just to being able to be part of that was was pretty special uh but the yeah, the like you said, the camaraderie is was something that I've never seen in disc golf. Like we know the sport is, uh, I would say, pretty inclusive for the most part, welcoming and, and t- bringing people in. But this was on a this was on a level that I've never experienced before. Where like we had teams, uh, we had the Ukraine obviously was there, uh, which was really cool to have have players from the Ukraine. They were able to uh, get a release from their government from conscription to be able to come and play. Wow. Um, the, their jerseys were sponsored, uh, Discraft provided all their discs for them so they could come and play. So just stuff like that is kind of the things where you're like, yes, this is, this is really cool to be a part of. There was countries there, uh, Colombia, for example, was there. They only got their first course put in, I believe it was last year or two years ago. Uh, Paul Macbeth Foundation was part of that. And I'll give a, sh- I'll give a shout out to, uh, my friends back in Calgary, Alberta as well, cause I know that they were a big part of that as well. Um, and then we played countries like Serbia that doesn't have any courses. Uh, how, how does their... that happen? I mean, sorry to interrupt. How did, like, how are they like, yeah, let's, let's go. I mean, is it just because they've played in other countries and, and no, you know, obviously they love disc golf and even though they don't have a yeah. course, they can, they, they still make sure they come attend this event. How does that happen? Yeah. So yeah, the, I mean, we played our first match of the tournament against Serbia. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, and even stuff like that. So I'm not sure how well versed people are with like, uh, global political history, but Serbia and Croatia have a, have a war history that goes back like to Yugoslavia and then previously before that as well. And to see those two nations sitting, having lunch together and hugging each other and like, um, like the Serbians were in Croatia playing in the tournament and having the, having a great time. And despite the fact they don't have any courses in their country, they still didn't even finish in last place. They did actually fairly well. Wow. <laughs> um, Impressive. Yeah. So they travel. Yeah. They travel to like Slovakia, Slovenia, Croatia, obviously to play. Yep. Um, yeah. That's... Uh, on that note, I did talk to them as well. And they're, <laughs> they're hopeful that the Paul Macbeth foundation is going to connect with them and, uh, maybe 
Zoe and Dustin and I will be on a flight over there as well with some new play stuff as well. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, That'd I, be great. I, I can just imagine like, oh, you guys think we're okay now? Wait till we have a course to practice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's that was us in high school or in element or middle school, Terry, because we I was on the track team, but our middle school had no track. Had no track. So yeah. we would just run around the streets and then we'd go to other middle schools that actually had tracks and get our butts kicked. I mean, there's got to be an analogy here to the you know to cool runnings and the Jamaican bobsled team yes. too, right? Yeah. I mean, Right yeah, we get, for sure. We've got a movie right here, Terry. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it's awesome to hear all these people coming together. And it, as you said, you had MPO, MP40, FPO. But yep. fair to say, these aren't necessarily your your uh, you know your thousand twenty rated players. It isn't the most elite level. Or or maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Did every other country essentially send like their very best players? Uh, well, like I said, I think like I think Casey right now, his August rating I think is a thousand fourteen. Uh, Duncan on our team is I think around a thousand and two. Stu on our team is probably around a thousand and eight, a thousand and ten. So they're they're pretty good players in their own rights. Um, so uh, I mean, when you look at when you look at some of the ratings of some of the players on some of the teams, they were incredibly high. Um, I would say like that close to that thousand rating mark. Like I think uh, the GB captain is, I think just over a thousand rated as well. Um, So there, there was some, there's some good quality players there for sure. Uh, There was some disparity between the teams. Like when you would see, you would see have their, their top MPO player playing. And then um, there would be a drop off as it went down to like maybe MPO three or what have you, right. There'd be a bit of a drop off. Um, With that said, uh, Estonia is not messing around. <laughs> uh, no, and that was going to be kind of what I was going to get to. Then is Estonia wins the gold medal, and yep. Tatar's not there. And, and, yeah, and I made the joke I think during the live show when we were you know in Des Moines, Silver's not there, mm-hmm. Albert Tom's not there, Katie Tati's yeah. not there, uh, and and yeah. Kristen Tatar. I mean, just those are just a few off the top of my head. There's others, you know, solid yeah. players, of course, but. They're not even there uh, representing Estonia, and they still take it down. That's yeah. I'm gonna say it. That sounds scary. It oh, oh man. Uh, so we the way the brackets worked out. So we finished first in our pool after round robin play. Uh, Estonia finished first. Finland finished first. I can't remember who was first in the other bracket. Um, but we all moved through uh, obviously, and then there was elimination rounds of play. And the way the elimination rounds of play worked, uh, we faced Estonia in the semifinals. And I, I, we did well against them. We took them down to, I think it was 17 or 18 holes it took them for us, for them to finally beat us. Um, whereas other teams, uh, was a little bit quicker. <laughs> okay. So, so we were, we were pretty proud of how we played against them. Uh, and then we, we played Finland, uh, for the bronze medal match, um, which was also, it, it ended up going to a playoff hole with us for Finland. Um, and honestly, it was the Colleen, uh, when our FPO one player, through the most amazing second shot I've ever seen in live disc golf. It was incredible uh, for, our, for us to be able to win the, for us to win that match. But just to touch back on Estonia, uh, I'm not sure if how familiar you are, if you can remember the course, Terry, at all, but there's a course, uh, the first, very first hole is kind of a flex forehand shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, onto the ridge still? Is it? Um, yeah. Yep, yeah. Okay. Uh, 
those Estonians were parking it almost every time. And it's not a, like it's for most people, it's a two to three shot hole. And these guys were absolutely <laughs> pumping the disc out there. And you're just like, this uh-huh. is ridiculous. Uh, I think, I think for, um, again, it was Colleen that played our FPO player. Uh, I remember her talking about it. I wasn't on her card. I wasn't following her card on that match. Cause I was with the other card, uh, with our team at the time. But I think she said they, she said that they own they met, they didn't birdie all but one hole um, during match play, <laughs> and you're okay. just like like you pretty much have to be perfect to beat them. Mm. Um, they are, and yeah. So then when you think about the fact that like there's a a handful of obviously high level Estonian players that weren't there, uh, but even even more than that, just to get, maybe give perspective on where the sport is within that country. They were live streaming the games like our game was live streamed against them. And then the finals was obviously live streamed uh, as well. Uh, it was played on a big screen in the, the capital city. Wow. In Verazin like, there, yeah. right? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's awesome. So, That's phenomenal. No, in the capital city of Estonia. Oh, 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 yeah. oh I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, they, they take yeah, it seriously. Like, they're, not, they're not messing around. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. How, yeah. are they, how, are, how are they live streaming? I was trying to think. Is it the same crew that was that's doing the European stuff? Is it just was it just Facebook stream? I I would yeah, love to just know. a Facebook live stream that uh, was going yeah. out onto sure. uh, like it's a great. big screen on the in the main te- in the big city uh, in Estonia. There, that is awesome. That is that is very yeah. cool. So yeah, um, and it, this is going to be a totally egocentric, you know, uh, United States thing <laughs> to ask, but yeah. going into it would would people have guessed that the U.S. would have had the strongest team or not? Yeah. I mean, mean, well, let's be fair. Like, obviously, more disc golf gets played here than everywhere else. So that's maybe why I asked the question. Well, I think if you look at the President's Cup, that kind of answers your question, right? Sure, Um, sure. So... Yeah, with that said, I mean the ratings that are that come out for events like this are based there's a whole bunch of factors that get factored in. It's player ratings for players in the country and then how they do in events and like there's a whole bunch of stuff that sort of with this factors in to create the rankings. Uh cuz I believe Canada was second or third going into the event and that's based I think we were second going into the event. Okay. Um but yeah, obviously um yeah, if if the U.S. sent their their team of yeah, like you said, uh, Paul McBeth, Paige Pierce, Eagle Man, Kevin Jones, whatever else, then that's going to be a really tough team to beat. Uh, I'll put this I'll put this out on uh, video so that if people can look back on it in years. But I think that those players possibly will attend an event like this in the future. And the reason that I say that is because WIFDIF is partnered with the IOC. And if this if this moves forward as a format or a way of this golf actually uh, being included in the Olympics, I have a hard time believing that those top rated players are going to say no to potentially winning an Olympic gold medal. Uh, okay, so I, so I foresee it this... kind of being like the American basketball dream team that came out sure. in the '90s. There, yeah, yeah. And I think of yeah, just as you're saying this, this may be I was going to say a segue, but more of just the the vehicle. <laughs> That gets us introduced yet in another way to the Olympic Games, and yeah. you know, as you just said, twenty five countries were present with with Norway having yeah. to to uh, you know couldn't get there at the last moment. But 
that that to me is is also incredible. Just the fact that twenty five teams were fielded at this event kind of blows my mind. I I I have to go back even and look at them all. Um, I think there was I, a I total of four hundred and fifty six games played over the over the four days. Yeah, uh, I I I could quickly read. I saw. Uh, that they had made a post over the four days, 254 athletes and 456 games of yeah. match play at the at the event. Um, and it goes on to, t- there's a really great write-up. In fact, I'm going to make a post. Uh, that's what I'll do. I'll post to it in the chat for anyone that does want to click on it. It's a lot of text, so I'm not just going to read it to you. But yeah, there's a great write-up uh, on it. Now, you know, I guess I'll I'll jump one more into it. What from an organizational standpoint, I mean, you said you went to to be support for the team. Locally, was was it like an, any other large scale event? I mean, you're talking about 254 players, so that's not yeah. you know your little flex start C tier. Yeah, that had to be a pretty major effort by Dinko and Maya and everybody else, right? Is that yeah, what, yeah, was it so, more of a collective yeah. hands on deck once you got there. Uh, no, they, uh, I, they got there when we got there, we got there a couple of days early. Uh, I think we did a practice round. Our first practice round was Sunday that we played. Uh, there was still some course maintenance happening at the time. Like they were still putting the finals uh, nails in the, some of the turf on the tee pads and, and cutting back a few branches here and there to make sure that the lines, the, that the players are going to throw were clear as, as they wanted them and that kind of stuff. So there was okay. still some course maintenance that was happening. Uh, but from a community perspective, um, within regards to Varsden in itself, like we stayed in a, a dorm, like a, I guess it was a university dorm that we were staying in, which was uh, really, really well done accommodations mm. uh, for, for us to be staying in and having the food right there and a little cafeteria nearby. Uh, one of the things that was kind of unique to our stay was um, they have scooters available. You just download an app and then you can rip mm-hmm. around on scooters. <laughs> And so the first, the first day there was only like a couple of players that you'd see on there. And by the end of the week, there was just piles of scooters all over the place and disc golfers repping around, which is pretty awesome. See, I think yeah. the living environment uh, would be one of the most interesting things for me. It almost feels like you, you always hear about the Olympic village and how much fun it is yeah. and how crazy and wild. And just going back to almost to that, for those of us that maybe had it like that college atmosphere where you're in an, yeah. in a place, relatively tight confinement with a bunch of people, new people that you don't know. Um, getting to know a ton of people like that. I think that could be a lot of fun. Oh man, it was incredible. Like we'd come home from the course and uh, they had baskets set out in the courtyard and pe- people would be just playing horse against people from all different countries. Uh, there's a little like outdoor Which patio Which is not fair because in Russia, horse floor. is like 27 letters. <laughs> 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 yeah, and then there was little outdoor patio areas and yeah, it was just people from all nations uh, hanging out together and uh, it was really, really good kitchen areas. Each each floor had their own kitchen as well. And so you'd go into the kitchen and there'd be like the, on our floor, we had people from the Netherlands and Australia and, and what have you on our floor. And we'd go into the kitchen and we'd just talk about the day or uh, make lunch together or have a meal together. And it was, yeah, it was just, it was absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I, I think about the world champ, the, the, the singles world championships, which starts in a week. Spoiler, everyone. Uh, it starts in a week. And you think about, you know, I, I know, you know, there could be 12 or 14 or 16. Let's just call it 20 countries represented. Okay. Yeah. And and what that likely means is, you know, 90, 90 
7% of that is the U.S. And then the other yeah. 14 countries each have two or three people now with the exception of a few more from Finland and maybe a few more from Sweden and Estonia these days. But for the most part, when yeah. you'd have 17 countries, that meant, you know, 20 different people practically. Yeah. I'm exaggerating slightly, yeah. but you'd have 20 different people and then you'd have the rest from the U.S. Here, when you're talking about 25 different teams with an average of, you know, seven to 10 people per team, that's as... Yeah. Uh, well, the average works out, right? If there was 25 teams and 254 athletes, it's almost 10 per, yeah, 10 that's per country, just right? So incredible to hear. And it just sounds like one of the most unique disc golf experiences you could ever ask for and, and truly global. Yeah. So I guess my question buried somewhere in there would be, what was the biggest surprise? What was the biggest thing that either shocked you, good or bad, but what was the biggest surprise when it was all said and done uh, and thing that was kind of yeah shocking or surprising to you? Uh, this The thing that comes to mind, actually, uh, this is a positive. Uh, the things that comes to mind, and I don't know if it was a shocking thing, but uh, like I've been to, I've participated in other sports like prior to this. I was actually with uh, Team Canada uh, Soccer with the Armed Forces. I work with, I used to work with the Canadian Armed Forces and I was with Team Canada as part of a, the military world cup. And then also I've been part of uh, international events within the sport of powerlifting as a team Canada coach. And so I've had some really cool opportunities to be part of uh, award ceremonies and player parties and opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies, that kind of thing. This was done. In my opinion, this was really special. The way they did the opening ceremonies was pretty cool. They, they walked us through the town and we all had our flags and, and that kind of stuff was really neat. But the the biggest piece for me was at the end of the tournament. Uh, it was it was raining pretty hard, and we were supposed to have the closing ceremonies and the medals and stuff inside uh, outside in a big field uh, right next to the whole one. Mm-hmm. And as a result of the rain, we moved it inside of a tent. And honestly, I think it was probably the best decision that they ever made <laughs> because you had like two hundred and fifty four athletes plus caddies plus coaches plus like event staff all crammed into this tent. And when they said, we're going to start in reverse order and announce the teams and in 25th place, and then they announced the teams, it was deafening in that tent to listen to. And everybody got the same cheer. Uh, And I was just like, you like, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. Um, That was pretty incredible. And then not only did they do that, they, uh, one of the things that was different that probably not all disc golfers are going to be familiar with, but if they've had some experience with ultimate, uh, is a spirit award. And mm-hmm. so I'm not sure mm-hmm. for those who aren't familiar with it, when you play ultimate at the end of a match, you'll get together and uh, there's kind of a spirit circle that gets formed and you kind of say the positive things. And oftentimes there's a little game or something that goes on within that. So this year WIFDF implemented uh spirit, a spirit of the game uh, for all of our matches for disc golf as well. So they gave us a card and we were to grade, grade the other teams and, uh, most countries had little trinkets to give out. Uh, we give out maple syrup suckers, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> being from Canada, um, and then it. a Canadian flag pin. Uh, but mo- a lot of countries had uh, little trinkets to give out and stuff as well, which is kind of cool. Um, but then to be at the end of it all, have the the spirit of the game also awarded out. Um, there was prizes for like first, second, and third for the spirit of the game as well, as uh, which I think was was really cool and. I'm not taking away from Estonia because them winning first place was was really well done and the celebration was loud and, and awesome. But when Australia won the spirit of the game, the tent was 
erupted and people were singing and like, it was crazy in there. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, yes, we're doing things right within the sport. And this is the kind of community, um, that people, this is why I, in all honesty, Terry, this is why I contacted you is that I just, I want other people to experience what this past week was in, in Croatia is the greatest disc golf experience I've ever had. It's probably one of the most memorable that anybody on our team has had and just memories will carry with us forever. And it's the kind of thing that I'd love other more disc golfers to have. I, well, I'm just going to lead on a very, again, personal note The the fact that I know the, the hospitality and the organizers there in Croatia, who, as I've alluded to, are are just top notch humans and people, and then yep. to know people from Australia that were there competing, as I actually know a few of them because I've been to Australia and interacted with a number of those competitors. It, it just warms my heart to see this global experience. So everything you're describing and and you want the world to experience and share and know about. I I feel like I've, I'm partially there already in that sense because that's mm. that's what's been so cool for me personally to travel around the globe and to meet these people all over to know when we have an event like this everybody can get together and we're all just sharing this you know this brotherhood and sisterhood and this common love of throwing a frisbee around and yeah. it's uh, I I I'm kind of glowing from the inside understanding exactly what you're saying because I can see it there's so many amazing people out there and to have the hosts that you did and to have the experience that you did it it just i'll say it doesn't surprise me it's uh it sounds absolutely mm. awesome and so i guess maybe the follow-up to that is how you know it, it's because there's not a you know a, a five hundred thousand dollar purse u.s dollar or any other yeah. dollar for that matter uh how 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 do we get more people excited to play because right now purses largely drive you know, excitement yeah. level and experiences. How how do we get more people to have an experience like this and be and want to be in this? Well, I, I think part of it is exactly what we're doing right now, right? So we have a conversation on your show that is uh, watched by a lot of disc golfers. I think that more people now are going to be aware of what the tournament is and and be like, hey, this is an opportunity. That's something that I'd like to strive for, right? I think that when we have those options or those pieces within our sport where people can strive towards them. There's a, they're motivating factors for people to put in the work and, and putting or in the field or in their game so that they have a chance. I think right now also the way it stands because we don't have um, those a tier, that's not the right term based on our sport, but uh, those elite tier <laughs> elite series players uh, participating in events like this, there is opportunity for AM players to be able to participate in, in these types of things. And so I think for right now, there's still an opportunity for when I say AM players, I, I should maybe correct myself. Uh, Cause uh, like I said, there's a lot of our players who are obviously playing MPO and FPO um, and they're professional players. Um, like one of our players is a paid professional by his sponsor to be able to play. And so they're professional players um, just on a different, uh, what I mean by that is that we still have players who aren't paid professional players. Like we have players who still work a job and still are doing really well within the sport of disc golf, who have an opportunity to, uh, to participate in an event like this. Um, and 
I think that, like I said, connecting on something like a show like yours, where the word gets out about that this is even an event that people could participate in, uh, it's going to inspire other people to to be able to be part of that. Uh, I think that's going to change uh, in the future. Um, honestly, like the way you saw some of the teams working together, like Finland was in there in addition to the kitchens in the the dormitory that we were staying in. There's also study rooms, and the Finnish team was in there. Uh, on an evening doing spreadsheets and going over strategies and, and those types of things. And um, yeah, like, uh, I mean, even just seeing like watching, watching teams warm up together. It's just some of those things that you see when you think of like professional sport as a team, when you see them uh, warming up together, stretching together. And then because you're, there was a, a sort of a mini gallery with every card as well, because mm-hmm. the players who weren't playing, they were on your supporting, they're, yeah. Following, yeah. So your your whole like, and it was pretty cool because there was the the regulations were while you're playing, you have to wear the same color as your teammates, but anybody else who from your nation has to wear the opposite color. So if we had players wearing white as their color, they were playing in, which they did mostly because it was really hot, so we didn't want to wear our dark jerseys. Mm-hmm. Um, then we the people who were caddying or not playing in those rounds are wearing our red and black jerseys, uh, not these ones. We had different ones. Um, and that was just really cool because then we're playing against Australia and the players who are playing are wearing their yellows and the players who aren't are wearing their greens. greens and you're like, yeah, yeah. this is, yeah, this is, this is really cool to be able to be part of something like that. But even uh, when Estonia was on the platform getting their medal, they received their medal and they kind of saluted everybody saying thank you and everything else. Then they stood on the stage and turned inward and they obviously had a little saying or something that they spoke to each other. Uh, just kind of quietly, privately, and then cheered and then turned back to the stage again. And I was just like, that's the kind of stuff that that camaraderie and that team uh, that I think we're going to see more of within our sport. You're going to start seeing some of the professionalism, uh, like I said, some of the warm-ups, the cool-downs. And I know that there's some of that happening with uh, within the sport already, but I think it's going to continue to be elevated uh, to the next level with events like this. They're going to be able to push those things. And then more people wanting to be involved or help going to be able to push those things. And I think, I really think it'll be a, a cyclical piece that'll help push, the, push the sport forward. Is there any, uh, uh, Sue from Raleigh or Sue in Raleigh, sorry, is asking, is there any footage of the awards that we can see? Is that, was that posted on Facebook anywhere or. I know that there was, uh, the same guy who was doing the live streaming for the Estonian games, uh, or what he was live streaming while he was following the games was, I think he was live streaming the ceremony as well. Mm. Oh, on that note, uh, <laughs> there is, um, there was a really tough hole. I'm trying to remember what number it was. I think it was like hole 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. Um, tight tee shot. Uh, you're kind of backed up into a bush and the fairly narrow fairway. And then, just at sort of just outside of circle one, there's a big log laying across the entire fairway, and it was a huge log. It's so many discs hit that log, <laughs> uh, and one of the Estonian players aced it in the in the final round uh, with a gallery watching, and it was that was epic. Uh, and that is on video. Uh, okay. That is on video. Um, you'd have to look up the Estonian disc golf Facebook page, and it would be on there. Um, okay. But there are also a lot of pictures. Uh, posted as well uh, through the WIFDIF uh, Instagram and Facebook page. There's a lot of pictures. Uh, if if you're interested, Terry, I do have a Google Docs link as well that I could send to you afterwards that has all the pictures from the events. Um, 
Yeah, send that on to us. Uh, we can, I can we send can that. Send it. Yeah, I think, I think uh, uh, Dinko might have sent it to me. Oh, did he? Okay. A little bit earlier, but okay. yeah, we can confirm. I was I was wondering, and maybe you guys, sorry, discussed this when I stepped out for a second. I wonder if this event wasn't better for the fact that we didn't have the Elite Series event players show up. You're, you're, like you said, the, the President's Cup team, so to speak, didn't show up. Yeah. I wonder, because, as you know, walking into that, having the clear advantage maybe would have taken something away. Or as you said, the galleries that were following all these cards, would they have drawn more of the galleries as these players want to see some of these top players? Would it have felt, would it have felt a little different? I wonder if having this first event the way it was with the players that were there, your 1,000 to 1,020 rated players or, or wherever they were, I wonder if this was even better for the event and the camaraderie and the feeling based on what you're saying. That's a really good question. Um, I think there'd be, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think that there is almost like a tournament for the people kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. a Yeah. Uh, but everyone, yeah. everyone loves to watch the top pros play. Not everyone Absolutely. loves to play against the top pros. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I honestly though. Yeah. Go ahead, Terry. I, I was just going to quickly say, it's funny listening to you talk about all of this and knowing you know, one of one of our favorite events on the planet takes place in northern Wisconsin. It's called the Midwest Team Event or the Sandy Point Team Event. And that then had sparked a few other team-based events. Just, just south of where we are, there was a team, a club-based event that had nearly 300 or 400 people at it just a couple of weeks ago. And, and, you know, in some ways similar and in some ways different, of course. But And they're all like, you know, the... the Indiana, Wisconsin, you know, uh, Illinois uh, is where the pull was from. But there were 400 people out there uh, for a weekend trying to play in a club-based event. So there's some similarities. And just listening to you talk about it has my mind racing of what kind of team event could I run? That's not just doubles, you know, because doubles are so common. And then you think about all the other formats and ways that you could do something, whether it's over a day or an entire weekend. And my mind's just racing about all the other, um, you know, fun formats. So yeah, it's, it's working because it already has me and I've run (laughs) team events as well in the past many years ago, you know, that had six players on a team and eight teams or whatever. But this, uh, all the excitement, you know, you just, I just think of all the strategies and that's what I Um, think is so exciting about it. The strategy, like that's part of the game too, that I, I actually, I said this a few times while I was at the tournament this, this past week was that, uh, I think I actually prefer match play over stroke play, uh, because of the strategy aspect of it. There was a couple of really interesting pieces of strategy that I'll share, um, uh, for those maybe who aren't familiar and those who are familiar, you can maybe learn a little piece here is that, uh, generally in match play, when a hole is done, that's the end of that hole. And if you want to throw a couple practice putts, you can throw a pra- couple practice putts because the gap between the, that hole ending and the next hole starting is a separate match altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not stroke play. And so there's oftentimes you'll be able to throw in match play, you can throw practice putts in between the different holes, which might sound strange to those who are only familiar with stroke play. At this tournament, they specifically gave us a rule that you were not allowed to throw practice putts between holes. So... Well, we processed this and we're like, how can we potentially use this to our advantage? Uh, and so rightly or wrongly, I mean, it was a strategic perspective. Uh, there was opportunities where somebody would be 15, 20 feet from the basket and we just say, pick up your putt. 
Um, and <laughs> sure, sure. Trying to ice so somebody. Knowing yeah. that they, what's that? You're trying to ice somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. that happened. Like we had, we had a player that didn't putt for an hour and a half. Right. <laughs> and then they, they putted on, they putted on hole two and they didn't putt again until I think it was hole 15. And that was on purpose. Okay. Right. And so, uh, stuff like that. And that was a little bit new for some of the teams. Uh, some of the teams when we, when we did that, they didn't like it quite as much. And we were explaining to them why we were doing that. Mm-hmm. And then they understood. Uh, some of the teams, like I said, when we were playing some of the, um, the teams that weren't quite as competitive, uh, we obviously didn't do that to them because we wanted them to have as much time on the disc as possible. And so mm-hmm. we played all of the discs and just let them putt and those kind of things. Um, but when it came down to the elimination round, it's like, no, we're going to, we're going to implement whatever strategies we can within the rules to, to be able to help us, uh, not in a mean way or anything, but, sure. well. uh, just being able to use some of those pieces. Uh, I, I mean, it's really interesting. Like we had one of our guys was up. He was plus five against uh, the fin- the Finnish singles player, um, and they weren't quite at Dormy yet. I think there was two holes before they would get to Dormy, mm-hmm. uh, and the Finnish guy had won the previous hole. And he threw his tee shot and hurt fi- first available, kicked into the woods, and then I looked at back at our guy on the tee box because I was up uh, on the fairway spotting. I looked back at our guy and he put his. He put his driver back in his bag and pulled out a mid range and was just like, I just need to get mm-hmm. to the safe spot down the fairway now because I don't need to birdie this hole. I just need, I win this hole with a par now. Yep. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting to see how, how the strategies of, of match play plays out, um, uh, versus stroke play. Yeah, and I can't yeah. stress that enough. And we've been blessed these last couple of years to have, you know, the Disc Golf Pro Tours match play championship. <laughs> And whether I was on the ground or in the booth working it, you try to explain those types of strategies and scenarios to people. But until you've been in a match play situation, it's hard sometimes to wrap your head around like, oh, yeah, that's why I would do this. Or, hey, you know, you just as even as a team captain, I've often stressed like. I don't care how you win the hole. If you win the hole with a triple bogey because they took a quad bogey, that's all that matters. Like you, you, it does. Yep. You don't have to be a hero. If somebody is way off the fairway and is thrown out of bounds, you don't need to park or ace the hole. You just need to step up nope. there and probably take the par or whatever it is. Like yep. trying to really get people to break themselves of their habits is tough yep. to do. And and there's there is something to be said about a veteran match play player that they yeah. hopefully understand a lot of the strategies that you're referencing. I well, totally so to be fair, you. yeah, to, well, to be fair and sort of touch on what you're talking about with like yourself running some, some uh, team events, uh, a large portion of our team was from Western Canada uh, where they do have a lot of match play events and, mm-hmm. and club events that they're very familiar with. And so I think it served our team really well to have a strong, a team that was really well versed in match play and strong with match mm-hmm. play. Uh, but it's also fun to watch like guys, like our guys have hold out. They got a two, uh, somebody that they're playing through a drive and landed in the bush. They have a look at the basket and they're pulling out a nine speed driver to try to forehand it into the basket as hard as they can. And they don't <laughs> yeah. care if they miss because the yep. hole's over at that point. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And yep. it's just, it's stuff that you never see in match play or sorry, you never see in stroke play. Right. Yep. That's really fun to watch. Oh, so much more so, aggressive play. Uh, sometimes so yeah. many more layups than you. I mean, it, yeah, like you said, there's just all these various scenarios that can make it so much more fun, and it's such a unique experience. 
Yeah. All right, Mark. So the question is, uh, give us one more plug. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna let you go here soon, but give us one yep. more plug. First of all, where is it next year? Has that been determined? Are people bidding on this? What's kind of the process, and and is it set in stone for next year somewhere? Yeah. So uh, my understanding is that it's every two years is okay. uh, it's going to happen. Uh, last year there was an interim European Championship as well that was played, uh, which was pretty cool. Uh, so Charlie Mead is the one of the head personalities for WIFDIF, uh, and he came up on the stage at the end of the closing ceremonies and and shared with us that uh, there obviously is a bid process and and what have you, and that they would announce the twenty. 24, I guess it is, um, championships in uh, Christmas time, around Christmas time of this year. Okay, great. I've yep. got two years to get my game up. Uh, <laughs> I've talked about sportsmanship and team play. I don't... I can do those. The play, <laughs> I, you can, I, I like you in a support mechanism, like holding you know, a camera. Uh, no, that's the last okay, thing no, that's I... Not, no, we don't want you doing that either. You shouldn't be holding any cameras. We'll find a role for you. You make sure all the luggage shows up. How's that? Hey, if I can yes, be there, Yes, that's important. Work. That's definitely important. You got things to well, get out. Just even that in itself, right? Like, what do you do as a player? Do you carry on all your discs or you, you put it always check carry on all your discs yeah like, oh yeah 100 percent. <laughs> you you can buy new shoes you can buy new underwear you can buy toothbrushes you can buy you can buy all of that stuff you need to always carry on your discs i've said that for years i've experienced mm-hmm. that for years those those are the tool that's the whole reason you're there and those yeah. although some might be quickly replaceable most of them you'd be frustrated and and ticked off if you don't have you always carry your discs on with you always like yeah i don't i just don't there's no put backups in your in your luggage maybe but you carry your throwing disc with you because here's the thing even if they don't get lost they're gonna get handled and smashed and thrown around and and not cared for along with the rest of your luggage so that's why you always carry your bag that should never never be out of your sight so there's a pro tip in there for somebody pro travel tip we're going to cut you loose. We appreciate all, right. all the insights here tonight. Um, it It is great that we are learning more about this event. And as I said, you know, to, to hear that you had the, the time and the experience that you had doesn't surprise me at all. But we're glad that we could help share the story of it and, and let the world know, yes, Des Moines was going on and it's an incredible event with all this, you know, the, all these other storylines. But to know, yeah. um, you know, Nearly 300 people were in Croatia from 25 different countries, I think, is a story in itself as well. And we're, we're really, really appreciative of, of you reaching out and, uh, and holding my hand or forcing my hand into the idea. Of having a <laughs> we were going to talk about it, but it wouldn't have been to this degree. And so that's For why sure. you've been so uh, incredibly helpful and valuable, especially knowing you're physically there on site and, and taking it all yeah. in. We really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Anything you got to say to everybody really before we cut you loose? Looking forward to Worlds. All right. That's, all right. We so, all are. So are we. So just <laughs> one short week away. Mark, thanks again for joining. And uh, don't be a stranger. I'm sure we'll have you on again sometime. Appreciate it, buddy. All right. Take care, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks, Mark. And Mark Oxer. Yes. Without the N, Terry. No N. <laughs>
Knicks, the Ox, Ox, the Knicks, and uh, Mark Oxer. We appreciate it. Uh, and as you were saying, we had him on. I, I want to say Wait. it was right when we kicked off the Pro Tour, just before that. I feel like I was yeah. in Vegas when it happened. Some, some time around there. Right yeah. around then. And uh, we had him and Dustin and Zoe uh, talking about you play and some of the new ex- exciting uh, developments taking place uh, in terms of being able mm-hmm. to train so many more people and then how much you play is growing. So, and of course. We invite you to check out uh, Uplay as well. So let's talk about the Des Moines Challenge. Um, that was the big event that we just got done with this past weekend. We have, uh, it is technically not in Des Moines, even though it says Des Moines, Iowa. It is in Indianola, Iowa, which is about what, 30 minutes south of Des Moines-ish. Roughly, yep. Um, the event started out with some Midwest weather. And we had the FPO got through their first round. No problems. No problems. You know who didn't have any problems that first round? Kristen Tatar. Not with 10 birdies <laughs> and one bogey. <laughs> she oh, shot a team. nine down. Six better than her nearest competitor. I believe it's a 1033 rated round right now, okay. unofficially. So a phenomenal round by Tatar. Um, us in the control. Some of us in the control room were uh, calling it over at that point. Not me. But, uh, you can't do that. But I, it me- mentally, Mo shoot that well. Yeah, yeah. Me- mentally, Mo has had checked out and said, "Oh, this is Tatar's now." Um, <laughs> I had said there were two people that could catch her, and Evelina was one. And Evelina made a run at it. She truly did. Mm, she 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 played very well. Uh, Tatar ended up, you know, uh, shooting only a one down on the second round, mm-hmm. and Evelina came back with a three down. And then the final round, Evelina and Kristen both shot a five down. So. Tatar won by four strokes. It was a little closer at one point after Tatar had taken a double bogey. I think it got down to two or sounds th- about right. Two, two. Two, to, two to three, somewhere around there. But ultimately, nobody it, just she was just a little bit out of arm's reach for most people. And Tatar is not the type of person who's going to probably throw that type of uh, lead away. Usually, uh, someone I, I felt someone would have to shoot a phenomenal round to catch her, as she did the first round. And it turns out. That was the case. So Kristen Tatar takes this down, followed by Evelina Solonen. Third place, uh, Macy Vela Diaz, uh, having a pretty solid year, honestly. Um, taking third place out there is no joke over the competition that we had out there. Yeah, and it, you know she she had said that she hadn't necessarily been on lead card in a while, and you know was under a little bit of a different light, but. Seeing her play really well, also the weekend before, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know we had seen her then a little bit, so it was great to see. And I think she's just proven yet again this weekend how effective she is from both sides with both spin. Watch, like I love watching her <laughs> throw a forehand because it looks so fluid and so easy for her. Uh, with of course some of her other sporting and athletic background, but she just makes it look so easy when she does it, and it's just a lot of fun. And then. Her consistency with her putting is often like I keep forgetting just because we haven't seen her in a little bit. Yeah. I forget how good of a putter she is. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, wait, she doesn't really ever miss inside the circle. No, she's very she missed one on that final round inside the circle. Yeah. Uh, She was 83 percent C1X. She is a very she's got a pretty decent distance. Certainly. (laughs) And uh, and she's a very solid putter. I've you know, she's one of those. Women that I think we're going to constantly see up in the top ten, if not the top five, for uh, the next few years. Yeah, and and I think one of the things that 
is so fun and maybe endearing is the fact that she's clearly having a good time out there as oh. well. And when when that's made obvious uh, I, through every fiber of your your being and your throw and your reactions and and just the energy you're putting out there, I think it just makes it that much more fun, obviously, to watch as well. So I feel like the only person that has more fun than her out there is Own, and <laughs> and that's debatable at times. Yeah, uh, and Own company. Own wasn't here this weekend. She was out winning a local B tier in California somewhere. Or she was. Uh, so fourth place, Cat Merch. Fifth place, a three way tie with Sarah Holcomb, Erica Stinchcomb, and Paige Pierce. Eighth place, a name that we haven't talked a lot about this year honestly well there's been a lot of talk about her but not necessarily on the positive side kona star panis shot a six under par on her final round to get herself into eighth place um she did not miss i'm sorry she missed one c1x putt so she she two putted on hole four so if kona again as we all say if kona can get her putting game together uh she made a post about talking about a sports psychologist and things like that on an instagram Nothing but the best for Kona. Hopefully, you know, as as we kind of say about a lot of people, the game is better when she's shooting well. Uh, in ninth place, uh, Hannah Blumrose and Heidi Lane. Lane, Lane. I always hey, call it Heidi Lane. Uh, no, that's fair enough. Uh, yeah. It's a very the a very uh, it's, it's a American very American way. version. Heidi uh, Lane. Heidi Lane. Thank uh, you. And and to double down on that, I wanted to say that uh, congratulations to both her and Erica Stinchcomb. They are your qualifiers for Throw Pink Championships. And uh, today, and I know it's getting late. It's probably should have made this mental note uh, four months ago, but it's getting a little later in the season. I want to do better at uh, weekly making sure that we're announcing and putting it out there for our our newest. Uh, eligible competitors and qualifiers. That's the better word I'm looking for, the qualifiers. And in this weekend, as we just said, it was Heide Laine along with uh, Erica Stinchcomb as your qualifiers for the Throw Pink Championships. So congratulations to them. Yep, that was your top 10 in the FPO. Moving over to our MPO field, a little bit different format, as we said. The MPO uh, got held up by a little bit of rain on the first round. So I think I read that 28 competitors finished round one before the rain delay. Mm. 28 competitors had not even started before the rain delay and everybody else was stuck somewhere in the middle. Mm. Um, But after that first round, let me see here real quick. After the first round, we saw Matt, Matty O in the lead uh, with one stroke over Simon Lazat and Kevin Kiefer and then Joel Freeman. But, Coming into the second round, Matty O had a little bit of a struggle. He was on the struggle bus a little bit. Um, Paul McBeth decided to shoot the course record, as he has done lately. I swear to God, Paul McBeth has... It's almost the same story every every event. Mediocre first round. Mm-hmm. Course record second round. Not quite able to get it done third round. Still finishing top five, top ten, second place a lot of times. Yeah, he switched that up a little bit at the Champions yeah. Cup. But yes, but it, your, your it, it feels, slow first round is the consistent, is it, a semi-consistent thought there. It's it's almost like he, you know, I kind of always joke that, you know, Paul has played with a chip on his shoulder for a long time. Whether it's realistic or in his head, whatever he needs to do to get it done that that first round lately is the chip on his shoulder. He looks at himself and says, you moron, why aren't you shooting like you can? And then comes out and shoots like he can. 
he just can't get it done consistently lately. But anyway, he shot a 12, Gibson with an 11, and Evan Smith jumps up with a 10 under, putting us into the third round. Um, The third round we had, I believe it was Burridge, Lazat, Evan Smith, and who was the fourth person on that lead card? Was it no KJ was on the chase card? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I forget. Either way, it comes down to basically Burridge and Lazat. Evan Smith falls off the the pace. It goes into a playoff, Terry. A playoff, playoffs, and a, a five hole playoff, four or four hole playoff. Yeah, where we saw. Oh well, let, let's real quick talk about round three and Simon Lazat got. I, I don't want to call it the craziest, but reinforced a new rule with the Mando rule um, mm-hmm. that a lot of people were unaware of. And I, I think that um, to, to say it frustrated some people, it puts it mildly that because they didn't understand the rule, there is now for Mando's a restricted zone. Mm-hmm. You don't just have to get through or to the left or to the right of said Mando. You have to stay to that side. So if you go barely past and then kick back, you have missed the Mando. It used to be where that wasn't the case. Once you pass the Mando, you're done, whatever. Simon uh, on one of the holes. 12, yep. Hole 12. Barely makes a Mando on the left. Kicks way to the right. And... Or wait, was it left no, to he, right? No, he, 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 he makes the, the Mando tree on the left side Correct. but then kicks a tree directly behind it and essentially kicks Kick, backwards, kicks him back yes uh, all on the left side but yeah all to the left side and then they spent like the next eight minutes lining up and trying to figure out where his disc was versus the mando line was he in the restricted zone was he not it, it came down where they just ended up you know the group decided that he was in the restricted zone and at that point it looked like burridge had it under control he it was his event. Yeah, there was a two-stroke swing on that particular mm-hmm. hole uh, between the two of them, yep. and but, and um, oh, I was thinking that Simon. Oh no, no, yeah, they both parred the next hole. I'm sorry, I'm correct. thinking of the FPO side where there was a three-stroke swing. Yes, uh, or later on there was and, actually um, yeah, a little bit of a swing. So and and unfortunately for Burridge, um, he decided to have a few bad. There'd be a few bad throws and a little bad luck, but ultimately ends up going birdie, bogey, birdie, par, birdie, and Simon just went birdie, 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 mm-hmm. and ended up getting into the playoff uh, where it went, like you said, four full holes on the fourth hole, Mr. Burridge, you know, after, well, the, the third hole, which what everybody hated, apparently, and nobody wanted to see it. I personally, I don't have a problem with the hole. I think it's it's a tough par three. You can easily lay up to the bottom, go for a death 50-foot putt, or you run the risk of running at the putt or running at the, the drive and ricocheting off a tree. You could argue that there's not a, a super clean line there to get directly to the basket, but I don't necessarily hate the hole as it is. I know some people want to see it cleared up a little bit. If they did, it wouldn't bother me. But anyway, they both get to the bottom of that hill, and then they both make phenomenal putts. Yes, uh, Burridge is even more impressive, but yes, they, it, they both made phenomenal. Plays. It was exciting to watch. We get to the we get to the fourth hole. Uh, Simon throws it out wide right. Burridge comes in. It looks like he's going to be about I'd say twenty to twenty five deep. Hits a stump 
a cutoff tree, which is what stumps are, and ricochets another 25 to 30 feet where now he's looking at a a 50-foot death putt down a hill towards the water. He looks at Simon, who's about 40 feet out, 38 38 to 40 feet, and he decides he's going to lay it up because that's his best play, Mm -hmm. hoping that maybe Simon misses an outside the circle putt. Wasn't to be Simon Lazat drains the putt and he knows it almost out of his hand. He gives yep. the, he gives the now infamous point and the crowd goes wild. Burridge, you know, everybody is applauding. I think, you know, sportsmanship. We talked about a little bit about the uh, Bob West Sportsman of the Year Award. I loved watching this playoff. You could see these guys were rooting for each other for good shot after good shot. They were. They they were exciting. They were excited for each other. When one would hit a big putt, the other would applaud or smile or even, you know, knuckles or whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. This was the epitome, kind of almost what we've talked with Mark, epitome of sportsmanship on this playoff. And I would expect nothing. I did, Most people don't know Burridge very well, mm-hmm. um, but it is what you expect out of Simon. So it was great to see Robert um, follow that up as well with that. It was every bit as exciting as you could possibly ask for the fact that this is why, again, this is why you watch live. There's no way you can, um, replicate, replicate that. Yeah. If I mean, so I can't, yeah, they, they surprisingly both missed hole one. And I know there's an opportunity to get the birdie, but then to see them get the birdies on two, that's kind of expected. Then, to know that like 16% had birdied 16% of the field had birdied hole three. <laughs> and they both so it's got such it. an unlikely birdie. And I was calling for it as soon as I knew of the playoff holes that it could come down to that hole. And I think most of us expected it, especially after we saw the drives and the fact that Burridge in such a clutch moment, making a clutch putt uh, just to extend it. And then Simon still had to answer. It was a little bit nervy, but a, and a little bit high, but obviously still a good putt. Like it was just everything you could possibly ask for in a playoff, in a good tournament. It was it was just awesome. And mm-hmm. you know, you go to the final hole, and I know there's, it, as expected, just as I had uh, called it on the air. You know, pe- people first of all wanting to get worked up about the stump. That stump was there all weekend. Everybody knows about it. It's no different than any other part of the course, yep. whether that be a rock or a log or anything. Yeah, it's not Just- like somebody brought the stump in <laughs> after they played round three and were like, hey, let's put a few more little things out here. And and I bet and, you Burge wasn't the only one to hit that stump I'm all sure weekend. He wasn't. And um also and and just think. There's a lot of other places you hit that stump and it checks up. It stops. It stops it from moving anywhere. Correct. You come in literally six inches shorter. You hit just to the front side of it or you hit a little bit on the right side of it, depending on how high that stump really was. You hit the right side. That could have kicked it straight to the pin. I mean, yeah. come on. It's like it's like anything else uh, that's on the course and that's part of the course. Um, but then I knew it as soon as he laid up, which I will forever defend. I'm sure he will as well. But that's the right play. You can't give away. The tournament by throwing that putt, getting ninety percent of the chains, having it drop down, and then the water not with Simon at forty feet too close. I think Simon's at twenty-two feet. Different story. I think if Simon is inside the circle at all, even at the edge, the way everybody's been putting lately, you know, you're looking at eighty to ninety percent chance to make a C one X putt. 
because that's what these players are putting with right now. They all seem to be putting at like 80, 90, or 100% C1X. I understand Burridge then maybe making a run for that. With Simon outside the circle at 40 feet, I mean, that's a... Th- that's a, a gimme. That, that's a 50 to 60% putt for him, probably. Well, and, yeah, check and, his C2. You well, you, C2's tough because yeah, that's 50. It's a wider range. Yeah, I, I would love to see the Still, breakdown of like yeah, that first just, one. But it's... You, I would guess that's a 50 to 60% putt for him. So for Burridge to take those odds, throw it under the basket and say, hey man, let, let's try it. Because look at look at hole one, where Simon throws the worst upshot ever. maybe we've yeah. ever seen. <laughs> he threw it like 100 feet in front of him and then skips up, ends up putting it under the basket, and Burridge is just outside the circle. And with an obstructed with putt a slightly obstructed so. straddle putt and misses the putt almost gives himself a tougher a tough comeback to a 20 footer on the comeback uh, anything can happen i don't blame burridge at all one of the things i thought was awesome was down that final stretch watching how cool and calm burridge was i mean you're just watching him smile and chat mm-hmm. toss his little uh bag in the air and catch it constantly mm-hmm. which it kind of seemed like his little thing to do to to keep himself occupied that guy was just ice just ready just going and moving and no issues didn't seem to show his nerves one single or frustration or anything one single time it was again it was so much fun to see well, congratulations, and truly, I'll say congrats to both of them in the sense that they provide us this, this entertainment, the excitement. Burridge, uh, clearly a, you know, a, 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 I don't know if career defining is quite the word. No, this is, definitely. But I, I would think so, seeing the, the visibility that's of this event. He's had mm-hmm. success. I know at the collegiate level, he's had success uh, taking down AM Nationals. Obviously, all you know, incredible accolades. But to see him at this level to come up, and and I'll tell you, I don't, I don't know if you can check both U disc and the fantasy picks. I'd love to know. Has anybody well, run that stat? How many people have Burridge picked? And if it's more than one, besides Robert, who picked Robert, <laughs> um, I, you know, and and that's no disrespect, but clearly. You know, to borrow a, a phrase from Brody, right? Uh, that's the darkest of dark horses there. That people are not putting Robert Burridge uh, as as tying for the lead or taking the top three spots there. And that's no disrespect to him. It's just most people had never heard of him prior to this weekend unless you're semi-local or he's beat you <laughs> already uh, at one of these other events. So congratulations uh, to both of them. And, and really... You know, as Shooter McGavin, you know, would talk about uh, the, <laughs> that the city, what was it, the city of Portland, that was the real winner that weekend. But <laughs> I mean, Des Moines, record breaking uh, payout, uh, added cash for a three round event. The Disc Golf Pro Tour and everybody else that had to make all of their adjustments to have the extra round take place on Saturday, you know, to play the essentially the two rounds of MPO on Saturday uh, and have things cut short on Friday to have everything go as good as it did. And then to have it all uh, culminate in the way that it did that evening, I was going to say that afternoon, that evening, you just can't. I, I don't you, Terry. I don't know how you top it. For reference, I'm looking at the Skip Ace um, statistics. All right, R- this is proprietary. So Robert Burridge was not picked 
in any past event by any of our open picks, not drafted, but open picks. So, and you can pick anyone was not picked by a single person. Like I not, it's down to like 200. Well, let me put this way. He isn't in the top 200. Literally, um, the 200th person, which is Sami Osterberg, has been picked 0.2% of the time. 0.2% of the mm. time. So Robert has been picked less than that. But for Worlds? <laughs> Somebody's special. He is the now the 20th ranked player being picked 6.4% of the time. Uh, at 73 of our entries have picked him. Number one right now, Simon Lazat. With 511, I wonder what on, that looked like on five a week ago. Yeah, I would. Uh, I don't know what would it, what it would have looked like a week ago. Uh, I can't, can't look. At, can't Just go into the past and look in the future. Tell me, like um, I would. Believe. But yeah, so our number one picked male player, Simon Lazat, in 511 lineups right now. Okay. So yeah, so ultimately, Robert Burridge, you know, clearly made a name for himself. I was really thinking of this earlier too. Does it? In the grand scheme of things, everybody wants an elite series win. It puts him on an elite list, blah, blah, blah. But for him personally, and his, we'll say his personal brand and his his thing, does it matter that much that he didn't win versus he he went four holes with Simon? I don't think so. I think he's no. gained the same notoriety. Exactly. And from there has moved on. Everybody wants the extra money. You know, the, the extra mm. four or five grand or whatever that came out to be. You know, you want that possibly... Uh, commemorative disc that maybe Innova would have given him for the extra cash 100%. That that is all possibly you know whatever, but I believe that just going to the playoff was a probably a life-changing event for him and the future of his uh his touring and his, you know, this is something that you can then take to a uh, uh you know, your sponsor for you, your contract talks and things like that. We'll see how he does from here on out. Both him and Evan Smith are relatively younger players. Both have a really bright future in front of them, and I'm I'm excited because uh, we're calling him Bobby B in the in the control room is is here to stay. Yeah, it. Uh, I, I will say, had and this maybe be the last point on it, had he been defeated in the first hole, I, I think that he obviously would have gotten a ton of accolades and praise that it even happened. Da, da, yeah. da, da, da. But it would have been, okay, well, you know, we it, this kind of went as everybody expected it. You know, so, yeah, he pushed Simon, but then Simon just took care of it. The fact that it was so much more dramatic, mm-hmm. the huge putt on hole number three to force it, and obviously he had to birdie two, you know, to match Simon and so on. Like, that's what made it even that much more special. Here. Yeah. Uh, Robert played a phenomenal final round. Very clean. Very solid. It maybe a a good break at one point. Maybe he had one good break. I'll say this about Simon. Simon got away with some shit. Like that dude, I watched him walk off at least three different tee pads with his head in his hands, knowing he got away with something because he threw a poor shot that worked out somehow. The I believe it was the first round, maybe it was hole four, even on the first round, where he flipped, maybe it was five. It's hard to hard to remember. Both of them I wrote that those water. Yeah, four's the longer four's long. water and five's the shorter, he, shorter he, island one. He threw one and it flipped over and went perfectly straight and way to the right in the in the third round. Um there was there was literally if you go back and watch three different times, he turns around with his head in his hands, or he's crouching on the ground knowing he threw a bad shot and got away with it. 
Now, granted, he had the bad luck of the Mando that came off a bad throw. Yeah. You know, he shouldn't have been there in the first place, but anything could have happened with a kick. I, I, I will say this up and down. I think Bridge had the better final round than Simon, a cleaner final round. Simon got a little luckier, but ultimately Simon takes the victory and we, we, we move on. Simon's got his third elite series win of the year has to be right up there in talks, if not leading for, if you want to talk about player of the year this year so far, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, he does, he, he didn't play well. I don't believe at the champions cup major mm-hmm. and we, we had one more major, didn't we? No. Europe. Yeah. European open. <laughs> good call. I don't recall what he did there. Um, so it couldn't have been that good. So it couldn't have been that great. So uh, he has not performed well at the majors, but he's got three elite series wins. So congratulations, Simon Lazat. And and I'm excited for worlds. And I think so far, 511 other people are too for Simon. (laughs) Well, uh, uh, yes. So as we said, congrats. And, uh, I I don't, oh shoot. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow this because it was our buddy that sent it to me. Matt, the stat sent me this uh, shortly after it had happened. Oh, here we go. Uh, he, uh, let me read this for you because I have to give him the credit. He said, Simon Lazat's previous three years, $46,864. Clearly COVID's involved and so on and so forth. But Simon, previous three years, $46,864. Simon this year, $45,149. So as of right now, he's won about three or $400 less this year than he, has the, than he did in the previous three years combined. combined. I mean, COVID, being a dad. Simon, uh, of course. Simon's got that dad power now, apparently. Is what uh, if, yeah. You know? So uh, very, very impressive. And uh, congratulations. And whatever you yeah. do, when you see Simon this week, don't look at his forehead with the giant red hickey he has on it right now. <laughs> Have you seen talking? it? No. Oh, he ma- he made an Instagram post. He was playing with one of his child's toys, entertaining his kid, and one of those like suction cups, he stuck it to his forehead, mm. and when he tried to like he left it on there, when he pulled it off, it left a giant red <laughs> hickey like thing in the middle of his forehead, and he he just made a post he's like, "I hope this goes away before worlds." Mm. So, we'll see if it does or if he's got a giant circular bruised hickey at forehead. Uh Either way, Simon being Simon. Dad, dad problems, right? Yeah. All dad, right. Uh, earlier, problems. real quick, earlier we did talk about some of the rules, including the Mando. Um, right now, if you go to the PDJ.com, I'm going to, again, link this for you if I'm you're a, if I'm, you're interested in that. I'm going there right now, Terry. Um, I, I'm not going to read through all of it, but I want to tell you that they're uh, talking about rules, new rule implementation. Uh, uh, clarifications, and I just linked to it in the chat. Uh, it talks about the uh, official rules of disc golf, the, the uh, competition manual, the proposed changes for 2023, and the, 20, uh, and the tour standards, and how they get revised, so on and so forth. And right here in bold, so I'm going to read this for you. I'm going to read this. Members are asked to email their comments and recommendations regarding the proposed rule changes below to. 2023 rules at pdga.com by September 12th, 2022, where the replies will be read, considered, and cataloged. No other rules changes will be considered for the 2023 rules update. So I know there's a lot of yelling, barking. There's a lot of passionate, intelligent conversation and, and logic. And there's a lot of stupid shit. 
Like if we're being real, and everything in between, everything in between. How have they Submitted. not submit it? Taken my new stance rule up yet that I haven't submitted. I haven't done anything other than talked about it on this podcast. How have they not taken that up? Terry? I don't know, but I cannot believe it. I might have even mentioned it online somewhere on the internet. The, 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 how did they not find how, it? Why is the PDJ not out there searching for what Johnny V once <laughs> maybe said to somebody? Uh, no, uh, uh, so just go out there. It's all on PDJ.com. I also link to it in the chat uh, if you're looking on YouTube. So I just want to know. I just want you to know that it's out there. I just read it for I literally read it to you. Um, so yeah, follow that. Uh, and in, uh, terms of, uh, parody, I want to reference what we're seeing for the USDGC and the qualifiers for this last weekend's event. As of course, we're also getting a little bit closer to that. Justin Rozak, Paul Uliberry, Paul Oman, and Evan Smith. So congratulations to those four individuals who have punched their ticket. As yeah, we this like is to say for the road to the USDGC championship. Congrats to them. First event in a long time. Paul Ulibarri was like in the top ten, I believe, or something along those lines. Uh, at one point, sounds about right. Uh, he's he's been recovering from a lot of different injuries, and it, it's good to see Paul back. Hopefully, he can maintain his health and play up to the ability that I know he wants to. Let's let's all hope so. All right, so. Um, Are we done with the show, Terry? That's, that's it. it. That's Thanks it. I don't. Joining. I don't know of anything else that's been going on. Um, that's. Let's quickly. Uh, it will go in chronological chronological order. When you woke up on Monday morning, <laughs> as I did in Bend, I'm expecting some congratulations, of course, for our champions. Specifically, out of the Discmania camp, you would expect a champions. Probably bottom stamp something or other to commemorate the third Elite Series victory of one Simon Lazat. Instead, isn't that what the press release was? Nope. Instead, uh, posted to UC's, and I guess I guess there is a a difference here. Um, UC's personal to UC's. I I feel like I need lately. I feel like I need a new stinger for our podcast. It's just like disc golf drama. You could go with that. Um, Someone cut that and make it so sound cool. There is a Simon Lazat Triumph Series Des Moines Challenge disc. Oh, uh, Tilt, I feel like that was posted. Uh, let's double check. I think that was posted literally today. It was. So what is it? Tuesday? Yeah. So that's posted. Go check that out. Congrats to him. Posted on UC Marezma's personal page of Instagram, uh, as I'm, all of you have seen by now, Um where he he talks about the hardest message he's ever had to write, uh, talking about being convicted of buying sex from adult in Sweden. Uh, what he did was wrong. He totally owns up to it, uh, so on and so forth. There's nothing that he can. Um, oops, sorry. Um, I've broken the trust of my family and of the community, um, and he takes full responsibility. Very clear on all of that, not making any form of uh, mixing words or excuses. Uh, he says, my goal is to support my morning family and the time I'm going to talk. This is the only time I'm going to talk about it. I won't comment on my personal life. I'm going to take a leave of absence and try and be with my family. I'm truly sorry. Uh, turned off comments, uh, understandably, because, well, quite frankly, That's... there's nothing good that can come from that comment section, I'm guessing, other than maybe some some, maybe uh, some support of support yep. for sure. Uh Fair to say that when I saw it, I had 
genuinely assumed he had been hacked. I 100% thought the same thing. And I'm going to assume a lot of people, especially if you like know that was him. The, that was, yes, especially if you know him. That was the very first thing I thought. And um, clearly finding out then that it wasn't because almost moments after that, or, or depending when you looked, there was a similar statement of similar nature posted to Discmania's website. And Discmania had also said that we, us and all of our subsidiaries, none of us condone this action. You know, we're not, um, you know, yeah, we're not on board with any of this. And, you know, UC is going to be taking a leave of absence um, and such. And it'll go from there. You guys have all read it. I'm just paraphrasing here. Um, here here's what I was going to say. What I am going to say. All right. I wasn't a, other than the fact that it was in the news. And it existed, and and you know this has come to light. I was fully prepared to have the two second mention of it, and essentially move on. As we've said in this podcast, with lots of other topics, we're not investigative journalism. We're not uh, here to belittle or berate or or uh, intentionally destroy anyone and their psyche. Um. Everybody makes mistakes of varying degrees and levels. How you or others want to uh, accept and or you know forgive, embrace, hold grudges, whatever that's on you. That if you th- if you thought you were ever gonna, I, I think you guys know us well enough. If you thought you were gonna come here and have us just you know finding a way to. Uh, belittle or destroy kicking somebody when they're down yeah kicking anybody that that would never hopefully would never happen i mean we never intend for that to happen so that was never going to be the case and i really honestly thought it'd be the quick blurb in case somehow somebody missed it it is news until i had another perspective and i'm still not going to do those things let me be clear (laughs) but i had another perspective today or yesterday that really hit me between the eyes with this okay People have talked about how is this going to impact Discmania. From what it seems like, they're a well-oiled machine mm-hmm. that, of course, is going to have a challenge without this, this genius marketing CEO you know, type at the helm. My, my concern is from a, the promoter and logistics and uh, competition mm-hmm. level of some of our highest events. And what I mean by that specifically is, although UC is not, is not the tournament director for the European Open. He is very much a front hype man and organizer and asset. But he is the gears. That, yes, he's the engine. He, he is not, he, is, he, he was not this year. I talked to the TD. Uh, that's a paid position, actually, to a full-time uh, person, I believe. Um, so, yes, of course, he, he feels like the man because he is the man, but he helps drive that bus. And, and maybe he packs all the tools and the spare tire along with that bus. So he drives it. And I understand that. So from, the, from an European Open perspective, there was a lot of b- chanting, and I don't know if there's any validity to it, but there was a lot of chanting of, hey, why, why aren't we here more often? And why aren't we 
having the European European Open more often than once oh. every other year? Why don't you know what is it going to take to come here more often to have elite level events? We we proved the world saw more than ever this year that the European Open is of the grandest stage is is as good and as great as it gets. I'm going to follow that by saying. I think it wasn't a secret that there was a push for our first ever European world championships. And there's there's no other person that would be driving that bus and leading that charge than you see. Correct. And I I'd go as I'd go as far as saying quickly that 2024 probably being a likely candidate of hosting a world championships, a prof- the pro yeah, believe, world championships. I think UC even stated that he was making a bid 2024 or 2025, I forget. I think 2024 was the year. So then my only my only question that remains then is depending on how things are for for him, for his family, for the company, for for both I guess with relation to both Finland and Sweden as the countries and the and the uh, we'll say the punishments or whatever, d- does this impact disc golf on that to that, that scale? That is my. That I think is the biggest talking point within disc golf at this point. Correct. Um, personal life of somebody is their personal life. I, I I don't get into try not to get into what is going on in UC's family. I have no clue what his situation is, what, what his situation with his family is, any of that. That's none of our business. Whatever. But I had the same thought, Terry, actually, like does, not necessarily about worlds, but does this or will this impact Discmania as far as or Disc Golf Park or any of those other scenarios when it comes to working with local businesses, working with local parking parks and things like that? Th- this is something that will carry some sort of stigma for some people. And and you have to wonder, is that going to be an issue? Will, like you said, will the PDGA look at this and go, uh, may, maybe this isn't the best time to have this run by uh, somebody? Or, or again, I, I don't think it should matter by then. I mean, it, a lot of it depends on... We, I think we'll see in the next few months how just... I don't think you're going to see much change in Discmania. I don't think you're going to even notice. You know, UC is a great hype man, a great marketer, but we all know he's not doing day-to-day stuff. Discmania is how many of our people deep, you know? I don't know how many people technically work for UC. If it's 30, 50, 70, all under Discmania slash Disc Golf Park, they all know, they they will all continue to do their jobs. They will all continue to, to put, you know, uh, our good friend, Danamite, works for Disc Golf Park, puts in courses and goes to shows and things like that that stuff won't stop and whether or not this will affect those type of things is more my thought slash concern yeah i guess i mean but again i think there there are certain things and you we saw it on the internet today with a lot of the threads there are certain things that some people look at as people have different views of different moralities yeah i was just gonna and say, so it's yeah. You know what? What things things that are legal in some countries are completely illegal in other countries, and, and and it's just a matter of 
you know, you, 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 you deal with what you did. And hopefully, hopefully we can, hopefully this doesn't affect disc golf and disc mania in that aspect too greatly. Um, hopefully it's just a speed bump in continuing to, to expand the sport in the whole European continent. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't really honestly know if I have anything else on it. Like it, it clearly was a little bit of a shock and I understand everybody's arguing, as you said, with the morality of it, that is for everybody to make their own decisions on and to worry about one way or another. Clearly there's been a lot of people that very much, um, you see it on both extremes in terms of somebody thinking this is a really big deal and it's mm-hmm. the biggest of deals and it's terrible and all the way to like I couldn't care less he's he's my hero more you know and everything in between and that's all fine wherever you want to stand on it as I think a lot of people do come back and ultimately have said largely because it was pointed out by UC himself this is something that him and his family will have to work through and I think you'd be uh, a heartless you know, a hole. If you didn't recognize that from a family perspective, there's going to yeah. be its own. He's going to have his own uh, struggles and battles and healing and and reconciliation and all of those things. Whatever that turns out for him and his family. Again, it's really none of our. That's none of our business. There's a lot of things that, even though we're all a disc golf community and family, you also at the end of the day should go back to like, well, it's not really any of our business. It's just they happen to be under a bright spotlight because. He is such a powerful and impactful person mm-hmm. that's that's done so much yeah. for our sport in so many positive ways. So all I can say is I, I wish him and his family and everyone at Discmania and everyone involved the, the best of luck uh, moving forward. And hopefully, you know, any ripple effects are, are, are minor. And we hope, you know... It, Again, he he's such a big deal that that makes this all so much bigger. I kind of said with Valerie Jenkins and Nate, who was were around a little bit when we were reading this news, uh, still on Monday morning from me being in Ben, thinking like a situation of this nature with a lot of other, we'll say, executives within disc golf would largely not even get reported or talked about or mm-hmm. would go largely um, unknown. But- uh- Depending on who they are and what company I'm saying. No, I mean if you if you take if you take the head of almost any of our major disc golf companies, I, I think that you have a very similar thing. There are there are other executives, but my point is there's some yeah. significant people at the heads of some of our companies that most of our general public doesn't even know. We could put their name in yeah, front of it, maybe. and they may not even know them. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing or an insult. I'm just saying because UC is such a bright star in the first place for sure uh of course he was the attention that's literally an entrepreneur, entrepreneur of, of the year, year last yeah. year <laughs> in finland so uh that's what we can say about it i i don't know where you guys could possibly uh go with it in any other way from there yeah, um I'm, but that's on your own that's that's what we have there, to say about it there are plenty of uh dark corners of the internet if you want to go and kick somebody yeah and uh we, we've seen the memes we've seen you know everything else uh, and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Some of the jokes are pretty funny, but I I, 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 mean, I, I can find humor in I can find a dark humor in some of it. But sure. it, it's it, it's nothing that you know. There's uh, I can find a lot of humor in a lot of things as well. But 
Yes, that's certainly so. possible. Let's move on to our next subject, Terry Miller. So today, um, there was at some point an article posted within the Emporia or at the EmporiaGazette.com. Of course, Emporia uh, is hosting of our world championships, which starts in seven days. And there was a news article that was written um, talking about, I, you know, I'll, I will quote the, uh, the article's headline, which says, Disturbance involving pro disc golfer being monitored. I'm sure plenty of you have seen it already. Uh, it, it was there. It was posted. Some people had then taken screenshots of it. At one point, then it was actually removed from the website. And as of us going live again, or going live, uh, it was re refreshed. It was then posted again. It was available again. So it as of it's, now, and it's it's out there. It's possible that the site just got hit hard. It could be that, or or um, I mean, my understanding is that there was a question as to uh, Jeff Chakwa, who was referenced within. The article, uh, who, of course, works for the PDGA, competition director of the PDGA, uh, it was quoted within there. And okay. the way it was explained to me at one point, and all I can do is simply report on what I've been told, the way it was explained to me is that uh, there was some confusion as to uh, Jeff possibly explaining it to, uh, explaining and being quoted in the situation, not not necessarily being alerted that he was speaking with a reporter oh. and thought maybe he was speaking with more of a person um, at the uh, country club. Oh, so that's why the article itself was possibly altered, changed, is taken down temporarily. Yes. Yeah, so uh, okay. there, there is a there is a policy within the PDJ that talks about uh, who who essentially should or shouldn't be talking to the media about mm-hmm. scenarios like this or any given situation and in and I think the default would be that you know Jeff wouldn't be having a a, a conversation with the media and I'd go as far as saying I remember if we're gonna put the context out there when I was in Europe for the European open runs in Finland, there was a conversation that was taking place about the rules infraction and, and possible disqualification. And at that point, it was very clear that there was a very concerted effort to speak among only the tournament officials and staff. And at that point, once everything was fully prepared and concluded, that's when it would get shared in a media perspective uh, as to the outcome of that. Um I, I guess I'll just be blunt and say I was asked to leave the room, basically. <laughs> uh, and it was... Uh, and I didn't go in there looking for anything, but uh, I was just in the vicinity. And it, it, what was said to me, I think, is this is a very serious and sensitive matter. Please leave. And I was like, okay, I'm out of here, uh, which is exactly <laughs> where I should have been, out of there. So um, there is a policy surrounding that. Uh, so the situation as I was informed or understood or read was that a an employee of the country club gave Paige Pierce access to one of the members' golf carts. And according to the PDGA schedule, the course is not open to play or was not open to play yesterday. For practice. For practice. This is on, this is on they, Monday the 22nd. Yeah, and that it was open 
I believe they're today at 8 a.m. I think okay. I think is what I'd heard. And so Paige going out there, I believe there were other there were golfers on the course, is what I heard uh, as well. Um, golfers, maybe. And that she was not allowed to be out there. And so when she was uh notified of that, there there were some words exchanged, and at some point someone called the cops. But before the cops even got there, the situation was uh, remedied, handled, and Paige was asked to leave. Yeah, and so that's, that's, if as you're reading the Emporia Gazette, that essentially goes through uh, largely what you're seeing within that article. It talked about Jeff uh, and, and him interjecting in there again. Uh, that was all part of the conversation. Uh, he said that, uh, I'll read from here, quote, he said he was unsure who was involved with the situation uh, and had been resolved by the time the Emporia police officers had arrived on scene. So um, so no high-speed golf cart chase? No, apparently oh. not. <laughs> yeah, it would take all of three minutes in Emporia. <laughs> go from one side to <laughs> the <true>. other. <laughs> Emporia is pretty small. Now, uh, um, that was the article that was, of course, Written, copied, then taken down, then put back up, so it created its own stir. Uh, I very much have received an official statement um, from Blake Schaefer at Schaefer Sports Management. I'm going to read this in its entirety. I don't know if this has been posted everywhere yet or not. I'm certainly happy to post it as well, but this is what was directly sent to me uh, regarding the incident at the Emporia Country Club. So I'm going to read this verbatim because I don't want to mess this (laughs) up. So I'm not, this isn't. I'm not trying to set this up as a he said, she said. I'm trying to put out as many facts that are currently in front of us. So here's what the statement says. On Monday, uh, 8.22, Paige Pierce was attempting to play a practice round at the Emporia Country Club to prepare for the World Championships. Paige was given a cart key and told where to get the cart by a member of the country club. When approaching the first tee, Paige was told by an employee of the country club that the course was closed. When Paige asked to speak to a manager, the request was denied. Paige believed this to be a miscommunication. She was then told by an employee of the country club that they were calling the police. Paige collected her things and decided to leave the course. She was not escorted from the course and was not approached by any police. This is a non-issue and a misunderstanding as she was trying to practice for the world championships only eight days before they begin. Paige is looking forward to competing and is focused on winning her sixth world championship. Blake Schaefer of Schaefer Sports Management. Of course, Blake as her... uh, managing company and and agent slash representative so so just to be clear as well this is the statement that uh i was given that's i think very public as well and intended to be she's not at has no interest in discussing this anymore as she is very much now uh only concerned about moving forward from a competitive standpoint but my point is you're not going to see her tomorrow or the next day making a post or uh, going on another podcast or going really probably anywhere to talk about it anymore. Uh, her, I was told by Blake that her yeah, and Can her you team, ask her about it in the conference, the TGPT will, conference? Uh, that her and the team have uh, are, are effectively are, moving forward. So, Are we big time now that we have, uh, we've got people putting out press releases for us when there's, when there's uh, situations happening? Like like every other major sport, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, now here's what I'm going to say. Uh, again, with regard to this, there is clearly, you know, for, I I feel like there's a anyone that can read uh, is maybe a better way to put this. We'll see that there feels like there's a, a slightly different tone from the Emporia Gazette to 
her press release that that I had just read. How's the phrasing go? He said, she said, and or there's the there's there's three sides to the story. Yeah. There's your side, my side, and the truth. Whatever the case might be, and I I'm not accusing anyone of saying the truth or otherwise. I'm simply reporting what's been in front of us. Um, there's a million more rumors. That's maybe the kicker is now, of course, there's a million more rumors that I want to say add on top of that. Some of those are founded and maybe true. Some of those aren't. I have no idea. I wasn't there. Um, Why weren't you there? I know. You're the disc golf hey, guy. You should be hey, everywhere. Four worlds. I should be there. Um, that That's where it stands. I, I don't, you know, someone just put in our comments, call the country club. I, I don't know that there's, I don't want to say I don't know that there's any more to it. There's clearly other things that may or may not have been said or done. Absolutely possible. Is there any more to the story in terms of where it goes? That I'm going to highly doubt. I will, however, at least momentarily, borrow or steal a thought from a previous call this year that we had heard of a warning with regard to own and mm-hmm. uh, her parking during the U S or during the, the masters world championships. And if in a situation you're parking your car 30 minutes before or five minutes or 30 minutes before tee off, is that considered part of the event and so on and so forth. And then at this point, as, as stated here, this is eight days before the tournament on a world championship venue where I, I'm going to use the, the, the phrase in the cheesiest of terms where statute of limitations isn't really the word, but you kind of catch my drift. If I say something like that, like where, where does that start and end instead? That's not the right phrasing. I understand, but when does the tournament start? When does this, the tournament end what you know those are those are some clarifications with i'll say within the pdga rules within the competition committee um you know there's bigger implications i'm just going to throw this one out there what if regardless of what was said uh by by any party what if the country club firmly said we'd we'd like to ban her from this property and I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting that happened. Uh, I, I've heard nothing of the sort. I, I'm just now. I'm playing hypothetical. What if something like that were to have happened? Uh, I mean, I mean that that's an entirely different story, isn't it? Yep. In terms of obviously what that means when the world's going to be played there, potentially three out of out of the five rounds. Um, yeah, it's that would have to be. Yeah, that would be an extreme. Uh, and and as kind of alluded to on our board, I'll borrow from there for just a moment. This is a PDGA major. Mm-hmm. This is not a disc golf pro tour event. And although obviously they are partners, there's and there's media rights and there's all sorts of other things that play into it. I do wonder um who's having what conversations. Is someone, and again, I'm I'm purely speculating here, is has someone like Jeff Spring, for instance, had a conversation with the PDG at this point uh, with regard to this. Uh, I, I mean, he I mean might, it's not an elite series event. He might have, but or he might be in the know. But ultimately, this does not involve Jeff or the Pro Tour in any way. 
because the pro tour is scheduled is is there to do some assistance with maybe some course setup mm-hmm. and media. Basically, that's it. They, I, yep. they're, they're they're not doing any officiating. They're not doing anything like that. That is all being done by the PDGA and the local probably DD taking care of a bunch of that as well. This isn't a disc golf pro tour situation. And but again, we've said it weeks ago with with the Nico incident that ultimately this could become an issue for the DGBT if something were to happen and someone were to get suspended and does the DG at a PDGA major. Currently, the DGBT follows all the PDGA rules and uh, enforcement of that. But there could be a day where that disagreements would happen. And I'm sure it's going to come in the future. I just don't know when or what the scenario is going to be. Nobody does. So that's, you know, that's life. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Again, I'll say the same thing I just said before uh, about it. Uh I don't know where it. I don't think. Let's put it this way: this doesn't go anywhere else from here, no. as far as I know, and and by all indications. But what I will say is, um, th- there has been communication with the players, and I say the, this because someone just asked. Yeah, the about, PDGA sent out an email regarding the schedule of which courses are open when. Okay, so that would that should be a clear indication for our competitors, and and this is this is nothing. I don't want to say nothing new, but it's nothing new. I you think back to. Um, you know whether it's to have space to warm up, like we talked about at the Worlds last year, yeah. or or just as recently as Ledgestone. There, there's always a conversation, and, the, and I know the Pro Tour has implemented a, a, st- a stipulation as to when a course needs to be clear or available to players based now, on by, the tier of the event. By PDGA standards, right now, I believe that a course must be set up and ready to go four days prior to the event. I believe that somebody can absolutely fact check me on, but I believe I was told four days prior to the event is when it has to be set up in and currently and uh, I don't know if available is the word, but set up in its its configuration and ready to go. We're talking about being eight days out right now. And uh, so everything may or may not be set up in those locations and ready to go in that sense. The requirement, though, is four days. Now, clearly, you can go out and practice any course, and it may not have the banners, it may not have uh, a flag, it may or may not, it may not, you know, may or may not have some of those things. But four days, I believe, is the required uh, time frame in which everything has to be ready to go. So, uh, someone asked, uh, you know, just a moment ago, I said, didn't the PDGA, uh, you know, do that interview where they asked, and she said she's going to Emporia. Yeah, I, sure, I don't know if you're, you're two courses there. Yeah, there's, well, two well, there's, courses there's there, a lot of courses. And there, I don't but. I don't I don't think the a pro, the appropriate follow up at that point would have been, oh, Paige, did you just say you're going to Emporia tonight? Oh, tomorrow morning, just to give you a reminder, the ball golf course is closed. Uh, where are you going to mm-hmm. be at, at you know, at, at 1059 p.m. Yeah. like that wouldn't be expected uh, by any on anyone's yeah. account. All, all the players should be fully aware of what is open when. Um, why, why, why Paige was out there in the first place? I don't know. Maybe she didn't get the email. She, maybe she was confused. Certainly. Uh, maybe, maybe she thought she could just get away with it. I don't know the answer, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and obviously everyone would say, well, you're, you know, we, we knew even from the broadcast that sure. she was looking to get there and to yeah, start she wants, playing she as wants quickly to win. as possible. That's all fully <laughs> understandable. Um, of course, all players should be adhering to whatever the stipulations are in front of them. Mm-hmm. I, I will say the 
the other thing that I have heard that's not related to Paige, uh, but regards with regards to this, is there were others also that were attempting to gain access to the course yesterday, uh, to the country club course, which, again, I've been told was closed and was passed on that it was closed, and others had tried to get there. So was this the, the biggest situation because there maybe were words exchanged quite possibly, or maybe not? And as it said, she packed up her stuff and, and, you know, and she said she left. So either way, it, you have to, you have to understand it from the perspective as well from the organizing committee of, Hey, we have relationships. Let's adhere to the policies and standards that are in front of us as well. So that's what I can say about it. Um, I think that's all you're going to hear Paige say about it. That's I think all you're going to probably hear the impress uh, the Emporia Gazette say about it as well. Um, yeah, I don't think anything more is going to come of this. I don't think we're going to hear anything else. I think that's just uh, it, cross our fingers. It's just a miscommunication. But uh, again, and to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, before before Emporia is a small town. I think if anything's going on, it might hit the <laughs> Emporia Press Gazette. <laughs> Right, I mean, I, and it's no slight on them. It's it's a disc golf, you know, town. Mm-hmm. But just in general, I mean, yeah. If I'm going to do something, I shouldn't be doing next week. I expect it to be in the Emporia Press Gazette. I mean, have you really done anything unless it makes it to the Emporia Press Gazette? <laughs> yeah, no, okay, okay. See, this, challenge accepted. The, see, Terry, if you're not, if your name isn't in the Emporia Press Gazette for some <laughs> reason next week, all right, then uh, I, I will find that your week has been sorely disappointed. And I, I prefer if it's not disc golf related, but if it is, eh, we'll see how that works. I, I, I gotta, gotta your name it, somehow, your name and the bourbon cowboy should hopefully be in the same article. That's what I, I want to get behind that. That's what I want to see. As in, I won another bull riding contest at yes, the bourbon cowboy. Something. Yes. That, that, that would be, that would be uh, okay by me. So, so there you go. Uh, I, that's what we can report on. Um, same thing. Uh, I, I'm not here to bash any, uh, any player or, no. or get into the nitty gritty of, of the, their personal choices that I may or may not uh, agree with. That's what's been put in front of us. And, uh, clearly I want to say, I just wish the best for everybody. I do, but hopefully as a couple of these things, and this is our job a little bit in, the, in well as the media is to talk about it, but hopefully we have less to talk about that's not just on the course Golf. playoffs. <laughs> yes. Right? Eh, it's kind of fun. Yeah, but not, it, not if it's... It's it's what's... Not I mean, if it's not positive. I mean, I love to talk about positive stuff, too. Like, hey, look, someone opened a course, or someone donated a whole bunch of money to a course. But the bigger our sport gets, the more we're going to have to talk about off the course stuff. Well, the we, more we, it's just, we have a lot of players and a lot of personalities. Just the way and, it works. Uh, you know, I guess I guess there is probably just a a law of averages here that there's only so many personalities that can drive around a country and. I mean, it's have, ha- have it be completely boring for them. You, yeah, you and I have known plenty of stories over the last twenty years. Yeah, let me tell you guys about. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Uh, no, that's uh, that's where we're at. Holy cow! Is that everything? Is that is that? I think it is. I'm sure. I'm sure people are are mad, Johnny. We didn't. We didn't. Uh, we didn't have a, a full blown bashing fest in any direction. But 
Well, until I know more rumors, uh, you know, <laughs> once I hear... Until you I, get your 100th again, meme posted about the subject, yeah. do you really know what you're talking about? Again, I'm just going to start rumors that there was a high-speed golf cart chase. That sounds... That went all the way around Emporia, twice. Uh, there was... There was uh... Following them was somebody on a scooter. I mean, because scooters are now out there more a, often. A, a red, one wheel, a red bike, like like Pee Wee Herman's red yep, bike. Yep, and probably a one wheel and uh, and a scooter, mm-hmm. uh, all at a high speed chase. All right. Um, well, I think we could close out the regular show on that note, and then get into the after show silliness. Hannah McBath yeah. says, "Let's start an internet beef." Uh, too late, Hannah. I already don't. Hannah. Like you. I heard you were talking smack about kicks. Oh yes, so she was. we 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 do have internet beef. <laughs> she was. She uh, thinks you're disgusting. Uh, no, I think I use that word. You you use the term disgusting. Eh, maybe not. Maybe we both did. They're Either way, crunchy. All right, guys. So what we're gonna crunchy do. puffs. That's all they are. What we're gonna do is we're gonna shut down the regular show. I think we've covered all of the uh, most pressing topics, including uh, the World Team Championships that took place, and then obviously the Des Moines Challenge, and then uh, a few things that came out uh, more recently than that. In the after show, we'll talk about disc golf related items. Probably we'll talk about some non disc golf things, and uh, we'll uh, interact with you. You guys have probably plenty to say out here on the board, and we want to see and hear what you have to talk about. And so we'll touch on those things as well. So I'm going to call it for now. Johnny V, I'm Terry Miller, the Disc Golf Guy. That's been Smashbox TV's podcast 417. Stick around. We're going to show you all the supporters of the show, and then we'll be right back after that when you step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash smashbox TV. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.